Father, as we read earlier this morning, the psalmist said, then I will go to the altar of God, my exceeding joy. I pray that you would be our exceeding joy. We so easily and often find our exceeding joy outside of you. We turn good things into God things, which is another way of saying idols. Would you not only expose that, but also in this moment by the working of the Spirit, bubble up in our heart that kind of um, spirit that says, I'm going to go to God, the altar of God, my exceeding joy. So while, Lord, I preach to the head, I pray ultimately you would stir our heart and show us your greatness, that we are complete in Christ. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have ever heard a sermon with a long introduction, maybe once or twice in a decade here, that's it probably, at least know that there is some biblical warrant for that. You see, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are actually an introduction before we get to the Proverbs themselves, those pithy statements such as, um, like a gold ring and a a pig snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. Or next week, uh, like a city with its walls broken down is a man without control of his temper. These first nine chapters are just an introduction to Proverbs proper. Now, as I have been spending a lot of time in these first nine chapters, I have to admit that I encountered something that maybe you've encountered in this series. I call that Proverbs fatigue. It's like he keeps on telling us, listen, son, listen, son, listen, son. Okay, enough already. I'm beginning to feel like probably my kids feel, and if you have kids, maybe your kids feel, when you remind them of the same thing over and over. Okay, I've heard it. But as I reflected on that, I was reminded of something I said in message one when we kicked off this series several weeks ago. Namely, the reason we repeat ourselves to our kids and the father repeats himself to us is because we tend to forget at some level. So it's needful repetition. Now what's more, as I reflected on that even further, it occurred to me that we need this repeated repetitive call to listen to the Father, I think especially in the day and age in which we live. Because there are two deadly dynamics at work all around us. It's the water we swim in. The first deadly dynamic is this. There is a full-bore frontal attack going on on the idea that there is such a thing as absolute truth. People talk about her truth, or his truth, or my truth. For example, former NBA star Dwayne Wade says that he's, he's grateful that his son, who, who's dressing as a daughter, and I'm sure sincerely believing so, has the courage to live by her truth. There is no personal pronoun behind truth. It's the truth. It's not her truth or his truth or my truth or their truth. It's either truth or not truth. There is the truth. And that that, that full frontal attack against the idea of absolute truth started way back in the garden. 
did God really say? Can't you take it another way? Just to elaborate, today a man can claim to be a woman, except nobody can define what a woman is. That is until who's entitled to have an opinion on abortion and only a woman can. That's madness, right? And, and hopefully we're, we're, we're rejecting that dystopian madness out of hand. But I wonder if we entertain the thought that maybe there's some things we shouldn't be so dogmatic about that the scripture is dogmatic about. I'm not talking about secondary issues, but like, you know, life begins at conception. It's plain, Psalm 139, that there are only two genders, Genesis 127, that sex is intended for one man, one woman in marriage, Genesis, and many other scriptures. I could go on and on how, how that, that God intends for us to gather weekly, Hebrews 10, that's a command. Or that in the end of the day, there's only one race of humanity. Acts chapter 17, we could go on and on. And, and let, me, let me just put it, let me, let me end this first introductory point with this. They're coming after your kids. Because if they can dismantle the idea that there's, abs- there's no such thing as absolute truth, it's only his truth or her truth or my truth or their truth, if they can accomplish that, they've won the battle. Psalm 2, why did the heathen rage and imagine such a vain thing against the living God? Now, along lines of that, that's paving the way for the second deadly dynamic, which I think infects us all. It's this, the elevation of feelings over facts. Am I saying feelings don't matter? No. God himself is a God of emotion. We're made in the image of God, so we too have emotions, but we're also fallen, right? Therefore, our feelings are often not a good reflection of facts. Just get in an argument with somebody and then look at it later and say, maybe my feelings weren't aligned with truth. And yet, we live in a time in which feelings have become the facts. Instead of being filtered by truth, they must be validated. It's absolutely enslaving. Enslaving because that mindset immunizes us from repentance. My feelings are fact. And when you don't repent, you're immunized from grace because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that, in turn, immunizes you from transformation because grace is what teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Titus chapter 3. Feelings are important, but when they become our authority, rather than being submitted to the absolute authority of God's word, we're enslaved. That's why I think this needful repetition is so needful and liberating, because it is a constant call, yet again, to open our ears back to the God of truth. So step into the platform again this week is a beautiful woman by the name of Lady Wisdom. When she stepped to the forefront several weeks ago, we talked about how Solomon is employing the literary device of personification, in which a non-human entity is described in human terms. Like when we say 
uh, when opportunity knocks. Well, you can't put your arm around opportunity, but it, it's, it's spoken of uh, in that kind of way. Or this happens to me a lot, that last slice of pie is calling my name, okay? It's personification. Wisdom is being personified here. And what I want us to look at from this text this morning is four images of Lady Wisdom, Lady Wisdom's biography. And each of these four images have a question that we do well to wrestle with as the people of God. So image number one is Lady Wisdom is a town crier. Anybody know what a town crier is? It's kind of going back a few years, in fact, way before any of our lifetimes, but before mass print media and all that kind of thing, in order for a kingdom, a region, a territory, a city to, de- to disseminate news, they would hire somebody called a town crier. They would go to a marketplace. They would go to an intersection. Sometimes they would have a uniform on. They would ring a bell, and then you have those words, hear ye, hear ye, and then they would sound off the information they wanted people to know about. That's exactly what Lady Wisdom is doing here. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? By the way, this woman is clearly no wallflower. She's not afraid to speak up. She's calling. She's crying out. And this, look at where she goes. Verse 2, on the heights beside the way, on a high place, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Besides the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud. This lady, she goes to quite public places. She'll have none of this, I think you should keep matters of faith private nonsense. She's calling out privately or publicly. And verse 4 tells us she is relentless. To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. Now, if you went to chapter 9, you would see in verse 6, Lady Wisdom sends out a few women, young women of her own. It says in verse, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 3, she has sent out, that's Lady Wisdom, her young women with her to call from the highest places in the town. And to me, that echoes, I think, um, how Christians are sent out by, by the Spirit of God to declare the gospel to others, Right? Lady Wisdom sends out her women, the gospel sends us out. So, so just a quick application, do you speak about Jesus to others? Starting in your own home, starting in your own marriage or wherever you're at, do you, just ask yourself, when's the last time I encouraged uh, shared, even perhaps confronted somebody about Jesus and the gospel. If, if, you don't, if you don't share Jesus with others, I don't know how else to say this. You may be a make-believer and not a true believer. But the really cool thing is if you are a true believer, listen, the next opportunity, which is today, you can... By the power of the indwelling spirit, you're a true believer, you have the spirit in you, you can take that opportunity and tell somebody about Jesus. And that starts not just with unbelievers, but believers. I think the more we tell believers about Jesus, the more then we are uh, prepared 
to tell non-believers about Jesus. That's just a, a small aside, but I think one that flows out of the text. At any rate, as we look at Lady Wisdom as a town crier, what is very clear is she is not hidden. She's not obscure. She's not like trying to get out of a mystery room. She doesn't require you to have a PhD before she'll waste her breath on you. She doesn't require 20,000 YouTube followers, and then she'll spend some time talking to you. No, here's the only requirement for you to listen to Lady Wisdom. Do me a favor. Put your fingers in yours. Put your fingers in yours. Pull them out. That's the only requirement. You listen to her. So my question with image number one is, she's a town crier. Are you listening to her? If we did a few interviews, we talked about personification, Lady Wisdom. Let's personify your Bible. Let's say somebody was going to interview your Bible and say, when's the last time, you know, here's your name, opened up uh, you and read you. And the Bible stands up and starts knocking dust off itself. It's, it's, It's been a few weeks. It's been a few months. Like, are you opening your ears to the Word of God? Does that make sense? Or how about children? If we were to interview your parents, what would, you, what would they say Like when they remind you of truth? Is it the old eye roll, like, I, I know, I know, I know, which we've all done, right? Or how about your friends? If we were to ask your friends, is so-and-so have ears for the truth, what would they say? Or how about if we just interviewed your church attendance? Like where we come together and, and, and are awakened from the stupor around us by the smelling salts of the gospel. What would that say about are you listening? Image number one, town crier, are you listening? Image number two is she is a truth teller. The beautiful thing about this woman is she's not all insecure. Where she's only going to tell you what you want to hear because she doesn't want to lose your favor. She doesn't have that kind of insecurity like we so often do. She's not being afraid, she's not afraid of being slandered with some epithet or being called close-minded, outdated, antiquated. No, she does not care about that. She doesn't even employ something that's often a good strategy of complimenting before correcting. She doesn't do that here. You know, saying something nice before saying something hard. Look how she begins in verse 5 on the truth-telling image. Oh, simple ones, learn prudence. Now, if you're wondering whether that's a positive word or not, when you go to work tomorrow, say, hello, simple ones, how was your weekend? Not the biggest compliment. She goes on to say, oh, fools, learn sense. To all of us, she says, you're a special kind of special. (laughs) But she does that because she loves us. And she has one prevailing obsession, and that is to to speak the truth. Because it's only through the truth that you're going to find life and joy in this world, and most certainly in the one to come. So look at verses 6 through 9. And you're going to see all these synonyms and references to the word truth. They'll just jump right out at at you. Verse 6, here, for I will speak what kind of things? Noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter, here's the word, truth, 
And if you're going to speak truth, then you're going to have to actually call out that which is not true. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. And she doesn't employ the Joel, Joel, uh, Joel, Joel, is it Joel Osteen hermeneutic? I only say positive things. Look at what she says in verse 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. She's a truth teller, isn't she? This beautiful woman, Lady Wisdom. Now, I think we would all agree that who a person is and what they prize determines what kind of friends they have. Would you, would you agree with that general, as a general statement? I want you to check out Lady Wisdom's friends. It's really cool. Verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence. It's a really good friend of mine. And I find knowledge and discretion. Verse 14, she says, I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. You get wisdom and you're going to get to a bunch of other good friends too. <laughs> Righteousness and strength and all these things, these, these people uh, that hang out with her, speaking obviously with personification. And she tells truth, not just to make our heads thick with knowledge so that we can win like, you know, Bible quiz contest, but because she wants to impact our life. Wisdom is different than Knowledge. Knowledge is merely information. Wisdom is how you then employ and use and apply that knowledge information. Knowledge says a tomato, or some of you a tomato, is part of the fruit family. But wisdom says you still don't put it in a fruit salad, a tomato. This is meant to be applied. That's why he says in verse 15, by me, she says, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. It's how father's father and mother's mother and workers work and students study and, and just everything in life. We apply the wisdom of God's word. There is a practical aim to her truth telling. So image one is she is a town crier. Are you listening to her? Image two is she's a truth teller. Are you applying her? Are you submitting to her? Are you obeying her? Now, here's the third image, that of a treasure chest. Let's say I told you, in this lot behind us, which we purchased for $1 plus a $35 state processing fee, that in that lot next door right now, as I'm speaking, 18-wheelers are pulling up, and they're loaded with pallets of pure gold bars and pure silver bars and, and, and precious diamonds and precious emeralds and all that. And workers are opening up those pallets and they're making this massive pile of precious metal and stones. And guess what? When this service is done, all of you are going to get five minutes to grab as much as you can. How hard would you get after your chunk of that pile? How hard? 
pretty doggone hard. <laughs> That's an understatement. Because it's precious, because it's valuable. Well, check out verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction, she says, instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you desire cannot compare with her. Verse 19, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, in my yield than choice silver. Latter part of verse 21, granting, I'll just read verse 21, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasury. She is not just the way to riches. She is riches. She is how you know that your sins can be forgiven. How you can make it to this next world, into this next life, eternal life in the Lord's presence instead of eternal condemnation in hell. She, she lets you know how you can be with the Lord forever. She lets you know not only how you can be reconciled to God, but how you can be reconciled to others, how you can work through conflict, how you can find success at work, how you can make it through life storms and droughts. You'll have them. How you can choose your friends, how to avoid a fall, and on and on and on. And that's why she's a treasure chest. So image one is this. She is a town crier. Are you listening to her? She's a truth teller. Are you submitting to her? She's a treasure chest. Do you find value in her? Now, the fourth image is this. She is a joy giver. This is verses 22 through 31. I want to quickly wrestle with something because cults love to take this particular section and say that Jesus was a created being. Jehovah's Witnesses and other aberrant groups do that. And this is the logic they try and use, the so-called logic. They'll say, uh, Jesus is the wisdom of God. And is Jesus called the wisdom of God in the New Testament? Yes, 1 Corinthians 1.24, 1 Corinthians 1.30. So certainly he is. And they will say, okay, so Jesus is the wisdom of God. Plug that in here. Now look at verse 23. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Verse 24, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. And so they'll say, Jesus, therefore, was created. This is when he was created. He is not eternal. He is not very God of very God. Now, there are tons of problems with that terrible interpretation. Well, first of all, this is the personification of wisdom, but Jesus is the actual incarnation of wisdom. But I'll just give you one other. These words, translated, set up, and brought forth, don't have reference so much to something being created that did not exist, but rather something being presented that already existed. It's like if you're ever at a, a gala or a, a banquet or something or a wedding, and they say, presenting! And they're standing in the doorway, some people. They're not saying, boom, we're going to create these people, and then they're going to come. No, they're presenting people who already were there. And what's happening in this, in, this, in this fourth image is she, Lady Wisdom, is pulling out her work resume. You know, like we write a resume, we give our background, we give our work experience. That's what she's doing. Verse 23, she says, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Basically, she's saying like, you know, like, like, like a mechanic grabs a tool that already exists out of the toolbox to do some work. God employed wisdom in creation. 
Verse 27, she says, I was there. But she wasn't just like, you know, a passive observer. She was actually an active participant. And you can read through these verses as Pastor Cleet did, but drop down to verse 30, and this is what she says. Then I was beside him like a what? A master workman. God created the world with many attributes, including the attribute of his wisdom. You ever seen a video of a seed that becomes a plant? Maybe they videoed it for like, you know, 30 days, and then they fast forward it into like 30 seconds. It's just amazing, isn't it? Just seeing that thing grow, boom, like that. I remember when they uh, built the Little Caesars Arena, they had a camera, and what they did is it went from like the foundation to cranes and seats and people going back and forth, like several months of work, they, you know, collapsed in like two minutes. And it's just really cool. You're filled with awe. It's amazement. It's, it's, it's joy-giving. It's awe-inspiring how, how that thing could be grown like that or, or built like that, and the people who had the mind to do that. So it's no wonder then that verses 30 and 31 are filled with words that have to do with delighting and rejoicing and joy. He says, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. See, this is the deal. As by wisdom something was brought out of nothing, and order was brought out of chaos, that there was joy. Look at this. Does it not say in Job that the morning stars danced for joy as they saw God speak everything into existence? So here's the fourth application question. As you listen to Lady Wisdom, the town crier, as you apply Lady Wisdom as the truth teller, as you value her as the treasure chest that she is, do you find joy coming out of your heart as she brings something out of your nothingness, as she brings order out of your chaos? Does she give you joy? Because as you apply wisdom, that's exactly what she will do. Verse 32 then reminds us of what's already obvious. This wisdom is rooted in a relationship with God. Look at verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. What is a son? I'm asking you a very obvious question. No need for a documentary on this one. What's a son? Son is one who has a father. There, there, there's a relationship, right? These Some 20 times... So far in the book of Proverbs, you have that relational verbiage, sons, father. In just a few weeks, actually starting next week, we are going to get into the Proverbs part of Proverbs that I talked about a few minutes ago. We're going to cover stuff like anger and self-control, gluttony and drunkenness in two weeks with Pastor Nick, tongue and speech, generosity and greed with John, diligence and sloth, pride and humility, prayer, marriage, aging, child-rearing, joy, hope, and love. But I want us to remember these Proverbs are not just a series of clever topical statements help us to do life a little bit better. Not just the cream of the crop of horoscope 
cool statements that come out of your fortune cookies. Not horoscope, fortune cookies. It's pretty much the same thing, I guess, right? No, no, that's not like that. They are connected to Christ, these Proverbs. They're connected to Christ. Wisdom is found in Christ, the wisdom of God. Because of him, the Father, 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ has become unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Now let me spell that out quickly. First of all, Jesus is our example. He shows us what it is to walk through this world the way the Father intended us to. But if I just said he's the example, that ain't good news. Because I don't know about you, but I shank that example often. Well, praise God, going back to 1 Corinthians 1.30, he's also our righteousness. He is the payment for our tomfoolery, for our being naive and simple and scoffers, for our being sinners. He paid that price on the cross, the righteousness of God. And when you put your faith in him, he's only the example that you want to follow, the payment for not following it, he's the power to begin following it. Because when you trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell in you. And that Holy Spirit who inspired the Bible can now empower you to to walk it out increasingly, right? We're up and down. We're up and down for sure. But you increasingly walk it out. You have power to do that. So I want you to hear Christ speaking directly to you from verses 32 through 36. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors, for for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death. It's a matter of life or death who you choose to listen to. In chapter 9, which I'm going to summarize in three minutes and 27 seconds so you can set your timer. Lady Wisdom brings this decision to a head. Really, Solomon brings this decision to a head. Really, God Almighty brings the decision that you have to make to a head. He won't let us straddle the fence. He won't let us whatever, life or death, that's what you Christians think. He won't let you blow it off because he loves you too much. He won't let you do that. And so in the grand finale to this nine-chapter long winded introduction to Proverbs, he has this crisis point. And the first part of chapter 9 is Lady Wisdom's invitation to life. I'm just going to read verses 5 and 6. This is a beautiful invitation. Come, eat of my bread, and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. And then she talks about the scoffer for a few verses. Not a simple person, not a naive person, not even a fool, but a scoffer. You know what a scoffer is? A scoffer is someone who just out of hand rejects the wisdom of God. But the rub is this. A scoffer wears a lot of mask, not just a scoffer mask. (laughs) There's all kinds of scoffer masks. There's a false humility. 
Who am I to say that Christianity is the only way? That would be so arrogant to insist there's only one truth. Yeah, except if there's a God of truth who revealed himself, then it wouldn't be. It would actually be humility. Or there's belligerence. The Bible is so full of errors and contradictions. Okay, can you show me one? Well, let me Google that real quick. Or pride. This guy at uh, Virginia Park Plaza last Saturday's outreach. I have studied all the world's religions. Maybe you should sometime. Um, and I pick and choose, and maybe you could be enlightened like me. Like, that was the spirit of what he was saying. Like, if you only knew all that I knew. And then there's just the lordship of the feelings mask. What I feel is right, okay? At least for me. And, and this guy, Scoffer, whatever mask he's wearing, he thinks that he's marching to his own beat. And in one sense, he really is. But in the end, he's only marching to the deathly beat of Lady Folly's invitation to death. And that's the last verses of chapter 9. The woman, Folly, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the high places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, come on, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. It's Lady Wisdom or it's Lady Folly. Never in the history of humanity has there ever been a time where you and I and people in general have more access to more information than right now. Never! All the majestic ancient libraries of Alexandria that people talk about and Ephesus and Rome, you have much more information right in your pocket. You can jump on the information highway, baby, anytime you want with the smartphone. But this smartphone is not necessarily making us smarter, is it? Not necessarily making us wiser. It's giving you a lot of information, but it actually can do the opposite. You say, how? By one, taking all your time, but two, by twisting your worldview. Everybody's being catechized. Ain't nobody not being catechized. And yet I'm convicted as I think about the information that, that my own family would have access to. I mean, catechized. Every social media outlet, every news outlet, everything, it's all catechism. I'm not saying... Bury your head in the sand, though. Sometimes that might be a pretty good idea. But what I'm saying is apply the truth of God. The fact is, you can be, with this I end, you can be um, a smart, dumb person, or you can be a dumb, smart person. What does that mean? So here's the dumb, smart person. You know there are people who have... Tons of degrees, right? Or maybe they don't have tons of degrees, but they have tons of knowledge. If you are ever going to play Trivial Pursuit, you want that person on your team. They know tons of stuff. But they deny some of the most basic and self-evident realities, such as some of the things I mentioned in the way, by way of introduction. 
And ultimately, they deny the very existence of the God who gives them breath to deny him. And God doesn't even try to prove his existence. He just says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Very, very dumb, smart people. And that's why it says in 1 Timothy 6, you can turn there with me if you want, because I think it's a really relevant cross-reference. 1 Timothy 6, it ends right here, verse 20. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit, some translations, the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant, irreverent rather, babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Now here's the smart, dumb person. That person knows that left to themselves, they would be a wreck. Maybe a successful one, to be sure, in the world's eyes. Oh yeah, Psalm 73. But nonetheless, an eternal wreck. That they need Christ and his word, not just in the fixes and pickles of life, not just here and there, but for all of life. That is a smart, dumb person. I'd rather be that person rather than the dumb, smart person. So Lady Wisdom, she's a town crier. Are you listening to her? She is a truth teller. Are you submitting to her? She's a treasure chest. Do you value her? And she's a joy giver as you apply her and she turns your chaos into order, are you finding joy in her? Here's a promise, and with this I do close. Proverbs 8, verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Will you seek her diligently? This is the word of God. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of proclaiming your word and ultimately the unsearchable riches of Christ. We would never know these riches had you not revealed them to us. I pray, Father, that this word would lodge into our hearts and minds, grip our attention, and cause a response in a Godward direction. I pray, Father, that we would Guard this good deposit and trust it to us and avoid your reverent babble and knowledge falsely called, which have caused many to swerve from the faith, as Paul wrote Timothy. I pray that we would rejoice in the God of truth, and ultimately not in our head, but in our hearts with joy. Then I will go to the altar of God, my God, my God of exceeding joy. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.